0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Robert Winfrey, and I'm going to apologize for my voice a little bit. It's probably going to go in and out a few times. Excuse me. Uh, I've been sick over the last couple of days, and... At least I didn't lose it before the show. I mean, knowing my luck, the next couple of days I will just have straight up no voice, so... Uh, Thankfully, it's just... eh. Again, I'll probably, again, it'll go up and down a little bit, but I apologize in advance, but I can only do so much about my health. Uh, tonight we will be having a relatively short show. I'm flying solo tonight. Jeff is busy. Uh, he's A lot of us are scrambling around at 411 due, due to uh, Larry Zonka being out of action for a little bit. Uh, get well soon, Larry. We all miss you. And he's just uh, had some stuff come up, because tonight as I am recording, the WWE Royal Rumble is going on, and that's kind of a big deal, especially for our site, because we're predominantly a wrestling site. And that drives the majority of the traffic, so... I get it, it's cool, no problems. Hopefully Jeff will be here next week, although next week is a little bit up in the air right now as well, because of the Super Bowl. Uh, it'll probably just be recorded earlier than usual because I have a family thing that goes on uh, over the Super Bowl. That I'm I'm not the biggest fan of American football, but it's a family tradition at this point, and I'm not gonna. And I I tend to you know, honor that if nothing else. Anyway, tonight again short. It's just me. Uh, I will be previewing UFC Fight Night 144. Yes, 144. Which is the UFC? Uh, they're in when they're Fortaleza. Yes, they were in Fortaleza, Brazil. This will be... It's a really good card, actually. And then just a real quick rundown of some of the major news points over the last week, which aren't a whole lot. It was a really relatively quiet news week. All things considered. So, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into this. UFC Fight Night 144. Uh, Again, from Fortaleza, Brazil, next Saturday, the entire thing will be on ESPN+. Uh, Both prelims and main card, at least for those of us in the United States. Uh, The ESPN deal is, again, local to the States, uh, wherever you happen to get your UFC action around the world. Most of that is still in place, I think, uh, although their UK stuff might be currently in flux. I think they reverted back to... BT Sport after having a submission with the people that were going to go to, so... Yeah, I trust you all know where you're going to get your stuff locally. Anyway, the main event is a really... Again, this whole card is sneakily very, very good. Uh, again, there's, there's some potential downers here, don't get me wrong. Um, a few of them, actually. Jeez. But, there's some good ones, and... Uh, the main event in particular, we have Rafael, a rematch between Rafael Asensow and Marlon Moraes. You know, in a perfect world, this would crown your number one contender for the bantamweight title. Because Sau is actually 1-1 one one with TJ Dillashaw. Uh, he beat TJ in 2013, lost the rematch in 16, but 1-1. One one. He's on a four-fight winning streak. Good grief. He's only... Since dropping to bantamweight he has only lost to TJ. His bantamweight record prior to that he was at featherweight is 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10. He is 11 and 1 at bantamweight. This is Austin Sow doesn't get a lot of play because he's not the most exciting fighter and his style is a lot more shutdown oriented. Uh, he just kind of stops you from doing what you really want to do. And it's not again, it's not always the most fan friendly, but it is personally I find it rather interesting. And he beat Marlon Moraes uh Janu- June, excuse me, not January, June of last year. Or excuse me, of seventeen, not eighteen. We are in two thousand nineteen now. Uh I for the record I thought he lost that fight. I thought Moraes won. But clearly again one of the top bantamweights in the world right now, and then you have Marlon, who's also one of the top bantamweights in the world. Um, His only loss dating back to 2011. In in November of 2011, he lost to uh, Davidius Torres Savicius. Since then, he went on a massive winning streak, had the split decision loss to Austin Sow, then won three in a row, beating John Dodson, knocking out Aljamain Sterling, and knocking out Jimmy Rivera. Uh, and again, I thought he beat Austin South the first time around. Now they get five rounds to play around with. Uh, I, I really... I liked Marlon Rice the first time around. I like him the second time around. He seems to have gotten a little bit better since then. Uh, he, I mean, again, his last two wins have been first-round knockouts, so seeing him go the full 25 minutes will be interesting, and I wouldn't be shocked if this one does, because... Um... Austin Silva's never been finished at bantamweight. Again, the lone loss in that weight class is to T.J. and that was a decision. Uh, I expect a lot of you, know, a lot of the same stuff that we saw in the first fight. But uh, I don't know. Again, I I like Marais here. I just do. I think I thought it again. I thought he won the first one. I think he makes a makes it more definitive this time around. I think he's the one rising up. I think he's the one surging. And I would love to see him fight for the title. I don't think I'd pick him over TJ at Bantamweight. But I think he's a very game opponent. I think he's the deserving number one contender. And unfortunately, we have the whole... Oh, God. That whole super fight between Cejudo and TJ just completely screwed up two divisions, as most champ versus champ fights tend to do. And then it didn't even go the way the UFC wanted, which was... Hilarious. <clears throat> I mean, I, I would just love to take a look into the alternate timeline where TJ wins, and we could even do it in identical fashion. now, Cejudo beat him, you know, thirty seconds stoppage the same way, and hear everyone talk about what it, you know that it was a, you know, a good stoppage because you you know Dana White would yeah that was clearly the outcome he was hoping for, uh, or at least the promotion was. I mean. And instead, we got what we got. But now, Cejudo's talking about coming up to bantamweight and fighting for the belt there. Which makes this a somewhat superfluous fight, because while the winner here should be the number one contender, they're probably going to get leapfrogged by Cejudo. In minor fairness to Cejudo, he did just knock out the current champion in 30 seconds. Which is... (laughs) I mean, an incredible feat, mind you, but but it also took place at flyweight and I'm not the biggest fan of guys Q-jumping when they have no history in the division they're jumping into now granted Cejudo has one fight at bantamweight in the UFC but it was it might have been his actual debut fight and it so again a few years ago and it was against uh, a good fighter but not an elite level fighter um, was it Chico Camus I want to say it was Chico Camus Need to look this up now because if I don't, I'm not gonna. Uh, no, no, that was his flyaway debut. No, no, that was much later. Um, Kimura, that was it. Dustin Kimura. Then he fought, and he beat Carriasso, Chico Camus, Jucie Formiga, got beat by DJ, lost the split decision to Benavides, and then went on his winning streak to where he is now. <clears throat> um, mean, anyway, I'm just... Again, I don't like it. I think it leaves... It leaves the winner of this fight out in the cold. Which I don't like. Because both these guys have absolutely put in the work in the division. Um, as for how I see the fight itself going, again... I, while I favor Marais, um A lot of the stance switching that Austin Sao does can give him some problems. Especially because Marais likes to fight out of one stance. Uh, he does a lot of switch kicking. And it's beautiful. I mean... The switch he, I mean, not just the kick that he landed on Jimmy Rivera, but if you rewatch that finish, uh, watch his feet, man. That switch that he does right before the kick is beautiful and fast. I mean, the, the man is, his quick twitch muscle fiber is insane. He just does stuff like that, and it just doesn't give you a lot of time to react. I mean, and, you know, when he knocked out a, Aljamain Sterling, it was a really nice mid-move adaptation because he was clearly going to throw the switch kick, but because Sterling was leaning in, he's, he adjusted to the knee and just you know, cold cocked him with that. He's got good hands. I think the big knock on Austin Saow is that he's again he's more of a shutdown fighter, in the sense that he just will he just wins rounds and just tries not tries to very relatively clearly win the round, with takedowns back control. Proper defense. It's not that he can't punch or kick. He does. He has power in both, but he doesn't put himself out there as much. And Morice is a bit more of the explosive fighter in this particular ser- scenario, the much more uh, dynamic component, the much more dynamic party. Excuse me. Uh, I see. I see the kicks being a big factor. Leg kicks for both guys, but. I don't know. I just I have a really hard time picking against Moritz generally, and especially a rematch of a fight I thought he won. So I I've got I got Marais here, but it's a really good fight. <clears throat> it's a really good fight. In your co-main event, um, there was a bit of controversy around this not being the main event. Uh, Jose Aldo versus Hanato Moicano. Um, apparently, they the UFC wanted this to be the main event. And Jose Aldo's basic response to them was, you're fighting for five rounds versus fighting for three rounds doesn't affect my pay. I'm not interested. And you know, I know Aldo's a bit of a malcontent in some respects, but he's got a point. I mean, if you're not getting paid significantly more to go through the extra damage of a Potential damage of a five-round fight, the extra expense, both physically and financially, of a training camp for a five-round fight. If you're not getting paid more, I, I, I kind of again I see his point. I mean, again, if you're in a title fight, sure, it's always five rounds. And you know, guys like you know Austin Sa and Morais are trying to you know, stake a claim to that top spot, so you know, five rounds is it gives them more time to breathe and quite frankly for both of them given that their first fight went to a split decision having those extra two rounds to play with might benefit one or you know, it should benefit one of them if you thought you won the first fight but you know you only have 3 rounds and you only have one round scoring to play with maybe getting those extra two rounds to really kind of definitively put a stamp on it is more appealing Josie Aldo's also been in a lot of five-round fights in his career, a lot of them. I mean, if we look at it, he's just coming off the Stevens win, which was a first-round finish for him. He had the back-to-back beatings from Max Holloway, both of which ended in the third round. Uh, the fight with Frankie Edgar that went all five rounds, good fight by the way. Uh, the Chad, then he had the, before that he had the McGregor loss. Then prior to that, you had. The Mendez rematch, which was a great fight, an all time great fight, went all five rounds. Uh, the Ricardo Lamas fight went all five rounds. The Chan Sung Jung fight went into the fourth round. Uh, the first fight with Frankie went all five rounds. The first fight with Mendez, he knocked him out at the last second of the first round with a knee strike. The Florian fight went all five. The Hominick fight went all five. We're getting into his WEC tenure. He knocked out Manny in the second. Uh, but the Faber fight went five rounds. Like there, there's a lot of five rounders and a lot of late fights, and none of those are easy fights. I mean, the closest he has to an easy fight in that stretch is arguably Lamas, I suppose. I mean, he just, he beat Hominick everywhere, but he was also dealing with uh, you know, whatever illness he had at the time. It's again, there's a lot of a, a lot of time with a lot of really tough guys on on his resume. If he doesn't want to fight five rounds, or he doesn't want to fight it for the pay that he would get, I don't blame the guy. I mean he he has stated he's on his way out. That he's gonna fight three more times this year and then that, that he plans on that kind of being the end of it. We'll see again, we'll see if that holds up. But I mean, five rounds is five rounds is a lot, man. It's and the difference between three rounds and five rounds is pretty significant in the toll it can take on your body. And if you're not going to be compensated differently for a five-round fight over a three-round fight, if you're not going to put yourself in title contention, I don't get, I, again, I kind of see the point. I, I think there should be a, I think in fighter pay scale, there should be a thing where, you know, you're average, you have your normal pay. Then if you're in a five-round fight, a non-title five-round fight, you are compensated more for that. Yeah, there's a there's a significant there's a. I feel like the longer a fight goes, the damage. Not only damage potential increases, but the actual damage tends to increase, and it increases, not in a linear fashion, but more like orders of magnitude. The difference between again, like the damage you take out in three rounds versus even just one more round, like just that last just. The, even if your round ends in the fourth, that fight ends in the fourth round. You're suddenly dealing with a significantly greater amount of damage, that relative to a three-round fight, and it's. It, I think it deserves extra compensation. So again, I, I don't. Again, so I don't blame Aldo for his perspective. And uh, that said, it's a darn good fight. I mean. Again, you have Aldo, who's... I I go back and forth about whether or not I think Aldo or Holloway is the best featherweight ever. Basically based on how I want to qualify best ever. I mean, from a technical perspective, yeah, it's Max. Max is the best. I don't think he quite has the body of work to supplant Aldo as greatest featherweight ever yet. I think he'll get there. Probably by the end of this year, I think. But you're still dealing with an all-time great in Jose Aldo, a guy who would have been the first champ champ in the UFC if they hadn't. Because remember, he was talking about going up to challenge uh, Pettis when Pettis was the lightweight champion. But the UFC's stipulation at the time was if you're going to even take that fight, you have to relinquish the featherweight belt, and he wasn't willing to do it. And I, I I think he would have beaten Pettis. I really do. Um... But again, all-time great against Moicano, and Moicano's really surging. He has a grand total of one loss professionally, and that was to Brian Ortega. In a fight he was doing quite well in, and then before getting caught in that guillotine in the third round, uh, he's won his last two. He beat Calvin Cater. He submitted Cub Swanson. Uh, Moicano definitely on the up and up. Uh, this is a really good fight, and I'm I don't know where, who to pick. I go back and forth on this one. I don't like picking against Jose Aldo generally. I did in the Stevens fight and immediately regretted it because Aldo turned in a great performance. Uh, I mean, stopping Stevens with that body shot. I mean, th- that liver shot hurt me, man. Just watching it, I just, oof. That pain, man. You've If you've never been hit really hard to the liver, and bear in mind, I've never been hit, I've been hit pretty hard to the liver. It sucks. I've never been hit half as hard as Jose Aldo hits. I I would guarantee you that. And I'm a... I'm not a small guy, you know. I'm about six six one somewhere in that vicinity, way over 200 pounds. And I've never... I, I guarantee you Jose Aldo hits like... A, it's significantly harder than you, I do and harder than I've ever been hit. And that... That body shot hurt me, man. That That hurt just to watch. That was wicked. Um, But Moicano's a a very slick technician. I think a lot of this will come down to pace. Jose Aldo is, again, an all-time great. But if you look at the ways, and these are some very subtle things that Max Holloway did to be so successful, it's very easy to say one of them was pace. But how do you implement that safely is a whole other thing. Um, Holloway just never let Aldo kind of rest between flurries. Anytime Aldo would flurry, Holloway would back up, reset, and then just keep going, keep going, keep going. And it eventually just kind of broke him down. I think Moicano has the potential to do some stuff in that same vein. He doesn't stance switch as well as Holloway does. I don't think anyone stance switches as fluidly as Max Holloway. Especially mid-combination, the type of stuff that he does. But uh, Moicano's got some good straight punches when he wants them. Both guys have good jabs. I mean, Aldo's jab is tremendously underappreciated. Both men have good kicks, and... I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, leg-kicking with Jose Aldo... Aldo's leg-kick defense isn't great. And just because he has really great leg-kicks does not somehow inure him from taking hard leg-kicks. It just means you have to be ready to... You either have to have your leg-kick defense on point or just be prepared to eat the ones coming back. But just because you have great leg kicks does not mean that you are somehow immune to being kicked in the leg. It just means you have to; it has to be set up differently. Again and again, your le- your defense has to be on point. So we could see some really hellacious leg kicks go back and forth. I think Moicano can get a little wide with his strikes at times, uh, which might leave some openings for Aldo to capitalize on. Both men are supreme, are superb, superb grapplers. Uh, again, Aldo's jiu-jitsu game is again another horribly underappreciated aspect of his overall skill set because he just doesn't use it that often. But he's his grappling is unbelievably legitimate. I mean, dude beat Cabrini when they were both brown belts at the worlds, and I mean that's a hell of a thing to do. So, God. I'm gonna pick Aldo here, but. I'm very prepared for Moicano to surprise a few people and pull this one out. That's, again, that's a really good fight. Uh, we also have... And again, there's a few other fights down this card that are pretty darn good. Um, Damian is fighting, which is kind of hit or miss. Still at welterweight. Interesting decision. Um, Maia's a, kind of up against it. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Now, granted to Tyron Woodley in a title fight. The fight sucked, but it was a title fight. Colby Covington and Kamara Usman. Those are... those Losing to those three guys, those are the three best... Those are, like, three of the top four welterweights in the world, certainly in the UFC. And where you want to put Murray McDonald in that conversation is up to you personally. But those are the three... Probably the three top welterweights in the UFC. Uh, all due respect to Stephen Thompson. But he really could use a win. And then we have Lyman Good. Good just came back from a... What was it? Was it injury? Cause he had a fairly significant layoff. Yeah, he was over a year between the loss to uh, Capoeira dos Santos. And his knockout of Ben Saunders. Okay, no, no, he had, he had the uh, he had the drug test issue after beating Andrew Craig, but prior to the Dos Santos fight. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so okay, so yeah, he had he had the year between those fights just because of the, what was a knee injury. No, that was just kind of how long that one took. Okay. Um, this is a big fight for Lyman Good, and Lyman Good could win this. Uh, he's a physical specimen, and he hits pretty hard. Um, I'm speculatively picking Good there, but I mean, Maya probably puts on another jiu-jitsu clinic. Uh, next up, this fight's really good. We have Charles Oliveira, who will once again campaign to return to featherweight unsuccessfully because shut up. But he's won. He's won his last three fights. Um, he has the most submissions, and he is fighting David Tamer, who is a significantly underappreciated fighter in the UFC. Uh, Tamer is eight and one overall. He is one, two, three. He is five and zero oh in the UFC. Uh, I really like Tamer. I've been kind of high on the guy. This one. <clears throat> this fight's a bit much for him. Um in a lot it's a big step up. I mean his last three wins have been Lando Venata, Dracar Close, and Nick Lentz, and that's don't get me wrong, that that's those aren't easy fights. None of those are easy fights. But uh, I think Oliveira is one step above, you know, the Nick Lentz's of the world. I think I mean he actually beat Nick Lentz, so uh, this is a tough one. I mean, I expect Oliveira to really try to get this to the mat, but one of David Tamer's better assets is his footwork, his circling, his ability to actually fight while going backwards. He's not just a guy who runs away. He knows how to fight while backing up. Two very different skill sets, and a lot of times they tend to get a little bit confused. And David Tamer is really good at fighting while backing up. Uh This is a a real tough one. I mean, logically, it's Oliveira, but... Oliveira's got some size on Tamer, too, I think. Tamer's a bit of a short guy for that weight class. Yeah, I'll go with Oliveira, but... Again, that's a really good fight. Um, Johnny Walker versus Justin Ledet. Kind of a do-or... I can't say do-or-die thing for Ledet, because he just lost for the first time professionally when he dropped down to light heavyweight and he lost to Alexander Rakic who is a guy i think is on the is up and coming at 205 where you know, they desperately need up and comers and i think Rakic is one of them uh but you know walker just knocked out uh what's his face Khalil Roundtree with that really nice just elbow from a double collar tie it was a really nice elbow strike so we got a couple of strikers uh Again, that, there's some firework potential there. I don't know who I'm picking. You Yuladette actually kind of looked a little bit better at heavyweight than he did a light heavyweight uh, based on his last fight, so we'll see if that pattern holds up. I don't know. Uh, again, this is a real tough one. I'll go with Walker, but there should be, there could be some fun there. Um, we have Livia Hanata Souza. Oh, she's got a gimme. Um, was she supposed to fight someone else? Was this always this fight? Uh, no, this was always this fight. Okay, Livia to Souza gets a gimme. Um, Souza is legit. I mean, her only loss is, an, is to Angela Hill. It was a split decision that could have easily gone her way. Uh, she has won her last three fights. She won her UFC debut. Uh, she's, you know, she's legit. She's a legitimate strawweight. And gets she's fighting uh, Sarah Froda, who does not have a Wikipedia page, and I don't think has ever even fought an Invicta. So I fully expect Souza to steamroll another kind of tomato can here. And th- that's your main card. On the prelims, we have Marcus Perez and an- Anthony Hernandez. Uh, not the worst fight in the world. This was supposed to play, take place at UFC 233, but after that event got canceled. Uh, Perez is 1-2 in the UFC. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Eh, go with go with Perez, why not? Um, Tiago Alves is fighting Max Griffin, um... Now, Alves is in a bit of a do-or-die spot. I mean, he's one and four in his last five, with losses to Carlos Condit, Jim Miller, Curtis Millender, and Alexi Konchenko. His only win is over Patrick Cote, and uh, I mean, Cote ain't ex- you know, isn't exactly cream of the crop <laughs> necessarily. And uh, on the other hand, you have Max Griffin. Is he um? Is this Tyson Griffin's brother? This is this a different Griffin? I can't remember because I know Tyson Griffin's brother also fights No no, I think it's a different different okay um Max Griffin he's been kind of a five hundred fighter in the u f c he's you know, he's two and three at the moment uh coming off of a loss to Curtis Millender. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. Uh, this is probably the easiest fight Tiago Alves is gonna get, in theory. And Griffin's a good boxer, man. He's got just really kind of solid punches, and Alves kind of struggles with guys who really know how to keep a jab in his face. Yeah, this is this is overly sentimental, but I'm going with Alves. Uh, Mara, excuse me, Mara Romero Barella uh, Barella, excuse me, she's Italian so double L is a different sound uh, she's 1-1 one one in the UFC I mean she uh, just got beat by Caitlin Chukage in her last time out prior to that she tapped out Kalinda Faheya she is fighting Talia Santos who I think has fought in the UFC before, but I need to confirm this Uh, Talia is fifteen and zero. I've seen her fight. I swear. She last fought on Dana's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Am I confusing her with someone? I must be. Yeah, I must be just confusing her with someone else. Um, I actually kind of like Santos there. Uh, fifteen and zero is nothing to sneeze at. Um, we have heavyweights as Junior Albini desperately tries to right the ship of his career after, uh, man, he debuted so strongly against Timothy Johnson. I mean, he looked really good in that fight. Then he does nothing against Andrei Arlovsky. Then he gets Ezekiel choked. I mean, yeah, it's Alexi Oljanek, but you should not be getting Ezekiel choked in the UFC. Just, if you're getting hit with that, you probably shouldn't be in the UFC. <sighs> um, he was supposed to fight somebody else, uh, Dmitry Sosnovsky. Uh, that got pulled out, and now he is fighting promotional newcomer. I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. Holy crap! I'm um, Jarzino Rosenztruch. Roze- uh, Rosenztruch is Suriname. Is that the Surinamese flag? It is, ha! I remember what the flag of Suriname looks like. Um Rosenstruik uh, excuse me, there's no Rose and Um he is six and oh. Fought in Ryzen at least once. I almost can't pick Junior Albini at this point after how bad he looked his last couple of fights, but I think I will here. Um, it's kind of on principle. I'm um, at bantamweight. Ricardo uh, Ramos fights Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, Ramos is on a four-fight winning streak, three and zero in the UFC. Uh, very famously knocked out Eamon Zahabi with a spinning back elbow. <laughs> that was a that was a brutal knockout, man. Um, Said Nurmagomedov is twelve and one. I think this is—he yeah, beat Justin Scoggins, right? Yeah, yeah. In his de- in his UFC debut, he beat Scoggins. I think this is one of Khabib's literal cousins, as opposed to his uh figurative cousins. Uh, Said's pretty good, but eh, Hamos is tough. That's a tough one. It's a really good fight, actually. And again, it's going to fly under a lot of radars, but that's a really good fight. I'll go with Nurmagomedov. I usually pick Russians over Brazilians, especially in Brazil, just for the hilarity. Um, we have a flyweight fight, one of the last, as Magomed Bibluadov fights Joserio Bontorin. There might be some weird pronunciation there. He's It's, it's Brazilian, Going with Bontorin. Um, Biblou Adov, one of the better up-and-coming flyweights, but got knocked out by John Moraga in his last fight. That was a while ago, geez. That was, yeah, October of 17, so it's been over a year for him. Did he have a injury or something? He had a back injury. Okay, he was supposed to fight a Lucas Sasaki in 2018, so I hope he's healed up. Uh, I like Bibliotov, I really do, and I, he'll probably take this one. His opponent is making his UFC debut. This is up at bantamweight rather than at flyweight, so there might be a size differential. Uh, bon, uh, Bontorin's only loss is to Michinoy Tanaka. last scene on Dana's contender series. Yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Bibluarov. And kicking everything off, we have a fl- uh, another bantamweight bout. Oh, Bibluarov and Bontorin is at uh, that's the ones that fly weight. Sorry, Hamos and Nar- Magomedov are at bantamweight. Uh, excuse me for that. My mistake. Uh, kicking everything off, we have a bantamweight bout between uh, Geraldo Brazilian, right? So it would be Geraldo. Uh, Geraldo de Freitas and Felipe Cor- Colares. Excuse me. C O L A R. Colares. Um, de Freitas is on a pretty significant winning streak. Five, six? Six fights, yeah. Uh, most of them in shooto too. That's a. And Kolaris is 8-0, undefeated, and... Last fought. He's been out for a while, too. Uh, 17. In a jungle fight. Most of his stuff was jungle fight. His last three fights, at least, yeah. Um, pull up a coin. Uh, normally Kolaris fights at featherweight... Interesting. I basically flip a coin for that one. I'll go with Kolaras just because his last name is easier to spell and pronounce. That's literally my criteria there. And that will be, again, Fight Night 144, also known as UFC on ESPN Plus 2 because you don't just need a plus one if you're the UFC. You need a plus two. Yeah, I'm going to keep with those bad jokes. I apologize. You're just going to have to suffer. I will have coverage of that event uh, in, in the four in the MMA zone of Four One One Mania this coming Saturday. So stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's going to be an event again. I'm looking forward to this one. Actually, it's a really solid card, more or less top to bottom. All right. As for news, there's not a whole lot, but uh, let's go ahead and start with John Jones. And the drug test issues that kind of came to light over the last little bit. Uh, the Neva- it was announced by VADA, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association, I believe, it's association, uh, that John's either his fight night or one right around it uh, test came back for the same thing that caused his that entire event to be moved from Nevada to California. Um, USADA will not be taking any action against John. The California State Athletic Commission will not be taking any action against John. I'm not here to tell you that you have to believe the science that was cited by all the relevant parties in this instance. Uh, If you don't, then you don't. Uh, Quite frankly, I wish the science was more settled. That's one of my big things with a lot of anti-doping stuff generally at the moment. It's just... There's not a lot of actual science behind a lot of the decision-making. I mean, there was actually a study done by, I think it was some Dutch... Dutch or Danish, one of the two, scientists who took all of the... Uh, the different categorization of things that, uh, like the world anti-doping or USADA, because USADA falls under, loosely under that purview, took the... Uh, a lot of the substances that they had banned and their reasoning for it and put them through more rigorous testing to see if they actually if that actually holds up to uh, held up to scientific scrutiny and when i say that you know you saw it as something like 20 some odd like 22 i think substances banned that's not just um, that's not individual products it is specific chemical compounds more often than not but there's a lot again there were you know 20 they have 20 some odd on their list and they have specific reasoning for it. And after, like again, these these people subjected them to actual scientific scrutiny and testing, and found that a grand total of like five or six actually did what they what uh, you sort of purported them to do to cause to cause them to be on the list. So there's a lot of just unsettled science around this. But if you believe the science that they put forward, this one of the reasons that. John won't be punished as this falls in line with what they, with what they were uh, speculating. I mean, it's not even a theory; it hasn't been tested. Theories have to be tested and then be somewhat accepted. Uh, this is loosely described as a hypothesis that they have going in scientific terminology, but their their hypothesis that John is just dealing with uh, you know, some kind of pulsing effect or just kind of the long term. or Uh, How else do they say that? Just like the Half-Life and the way this thing sticks around is significantly different than what we'd been led to believe by the loose scientific literature that had been done on this subject at the time. This falls in line with that. It's still those very, very small those those small amounts per liter. It's still uh, again, it's it just seems to fall in line with what they were saying. Now, whether or not you think John is just completely gaming the entire system. And is entirely up to you. I don't know that I completely believe it. I will say that, again, what happened based on the test results falls in line with what they were saying beforehand, so logically, this is the course of action that is put before them. Um, Again, what what you choose to believe is entirely up to you. I'm not here to preach to anyone. Necessarily. I'm not here to convince you but at the moment there is no action being taken by any of the re- relevant bodies this does oh, cast a bit of a this could potentially cast a shadow on John trying to get a license for Nevada which should be coming up in the next couple of weeks um, on the one hand you could argue this actually strengthens the, K- the scientific ev- this is a point of evidence in favor of the hypothesis put forward by again, the relevant parties you could also say it's just another fa- it is another failed drug test for John and that Nevada might not want to uh give him a license to compete. And I don't again I don't know what will happen necessarily. But the you could spin that you could spin it you again, you could spin it either way. And how exactly it's gonna wind up going, I don't know. But uh I mean, it was this was his Vada test that came back, so I mean, the other thing about VOD and this got this had been mentioned. Uh, John was John signed up for it as part of his part of the condition of his provisional license with uh, California for you know, that for the fight with Gustafson. VODA has no stand. just tests. Like they don't actually, They're not a governing body. They're not a sanctioning body. They literally just provide testing services. They have no. There's nothing that's going to come of it if VADA. Now, other organizations, something like USADA or or State Athletic Commission, could take that into consideration and could accept it as a failed drug test, or they could. I mean, they could also choose to ignore it if they wanted to. But again, VADA there. You know, VADA just you know, VADA doesn't actually sanction anyone. They just provide testing services. So the big thing is going to be John and the you know, the Nevada State Athletic Commission in the next little bit. So we'll have to kind of see what happens at the end of that. But that was something that happened, and again, whether you choose to believe the hypothesis put forward is entirely up to you. But this does fall in at least this falls in line with what they were saying. So. Again, we'll wind up seeing what comes uh, about after all of that. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Oh, we have uh, a slow news week, guys, so I'm going to scrape a little bit of the barrel here. But we had some stuff from Khabib. The reigning, undisputed, undefeated UFC lightweight champion of the world, Khabib Nurmagomedov, did an interview with uh, Submission Radio, I believe it was the Submission Radio people, and... He kind of laid out a plan for his retirement. Uh, he said he wanted to fight three more times and then retire. He wants to fight Tony Ferguson. Uh, thank God he wants to fight Tony. I want him to fight Tony. Everyone wants that fight. I don't know of a single person who does not want to see Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson square off and fight. Uh, everyone does. It's uh, I think it's the best fight in all of MMA that you can make. So he wants that. He wants a rematch with Conor. Which would be relatively easy money for him. I think, I mean, well, easy's a bit of a stretch, but he wants a rematch with Conor and he wants to fight George St. Pierre and then kind of retire. At least that's the theory he put forth. Now, how much you choose to believe Khabib, I leave that up to you. Um, I will say this, uh, specifically about Khabib. He is a devoutly religious individual. And a lot of the priorities that, and I say this as a, not as devout as I should be, but a relatively devout individual myself, different religions, mind you, but the priorities are different. And a lot of athletes, especially a lot of fighters as well, I mean, fighters are athletes, but um, a lot of them put a high premium on financial success, on fame, on acclaim, and I'm not saying Khabib doesn't value those things. He very clearly does. But if he feels there's a specific time in his life when he wants to get out and get married, because I believe I don't—I mean, he's got—he's married, he has a kid. But if there's a time he wants to leave the sport behind and just focus on being a husband and father and. You know, move on to the next phase of his life it's different it, and again, I'm not saying he might not you know, where exactly he falls on this is he's still open to some degree of both interpretation and suspicion but it, it's again it's a little diff- different when people with very devout religious convictions say that as opposed to you know, your average fighter and do I think Kabib's going to be gone after three more fights? Probably not. Um, but... Habib is... Also a guy who, uh, you know, it wouldn't... Let me say this. I don't think he will be, but I won't be surprised if he does. If he has other priorities in life that he wants to focus on. Uh, you know, that's entirely up to him. And you know I, I do kind of yeah you know, in that sense i just kind of wish him luck you know i, I don't wish ill on him or really any fighters necessarily i mean i'm might, i might kind of joke around about it and i certainly have fighters that i might personally root for or not root for but i don't wish ill on in a serious sense on anyone um so there's and there was that and i'll say this if he does have those 3 fights and then does retire undefeated, that would be that would get him to 30 and 0, I think. Cuz I believe at the moment he's 27 and 0. I'm going to look that up to confirm it. Um yeah, he's 27 and 0, so that would get him to 30 and 0. <clears throat> if he goes to 30 and 0, undefeated champion with the guys he's beaten, and if he were to add in that, if he were to add those three specifically, so let's say he does beat Tony, huge ask. Uh, Tony doesn't lose all that often either. But if he does beat Tony and then Connor and then GSP again, uh, there's a real argument for him as the best lightweight ever. Just this straight up best. I mean, getting past Tony alone could arguably put him there. I mean, who's he really competing against at this point in terms of like the best lightweight ever? Your only your argument is probably prime BJ Penn when BJ was champion, and if he beats Tony, because I mean, I, I mean Tony's better than everyone BJ beat during his title run by a significant margin, just all of them. If he beats Tony, I'd probably go with him as the best. I mean. Hard to argue with the results. And he will... he's got those in spades, so... There's that. Um, let's see. Did we have any other fights that got made... over the last little bit? I don't think so. Uh, last week we talked about the Whitaker and Gastelum bout order being finalized. Still a few things kind of in flux around that, but, uh... That is just not a good card, man. That is really devoting a lot of faith to those top 2 fights hanging together. Uh, the ESPN card got about got its bout order finalized. Boy, that is a surprisingly uninspiring card. I mean really uninspiring. Jeez. You have Ivan you have versus Velasquez, which I mean, not the worst heavyweight fight in the world, but Kane's been out for a while, and Ganu had those two big setbacks. I mean, that, and that whole fight comes down to, you know, uh, Francis is going to try and uppercut Kane as Kane ducks in for a single leg. Kane's going to try and throw an overhand, overhand right into a double leg attempt. I mean, if Kane's smart, he leg kicks on the outside, he fakes and feints, he gets in Ganu biting on stuff just like Stipe did, but Stipe has a much better jab than Kane. That said, there's still a few things you know, that he can take. I mean, again, so many people took the wrong game plan from Ngannou versus Stipe. You can't just shoot double legs on Ngannou from outside. Stipe's success came from the fact that he, you know, landed leg kicks, landed jabs, did, threw a lot of fakes, threw a lot of feints, got Ngannou biting on them, and then capitalized. And if you try to do one without the proper setup, you wind up like Curtis Blades and just knocked out a couple of times. Uh, Vick and Felder's a good fight, but man, yeah, that's that's not the best card in the world. Um, see, we talked about last week, Barbosa and K.G. Uh, UFC two thirty six is still got nothing attached to it. So no, I don't think there were a whole lot of fights made over this last week. Uh, so I think that's gonna go ahead and do it, let me, that's my one set of notes, so let me check my other set, cause yeah, again, I'm, it was just a slow news week, guys, um, and when it's a slow news week, there's only so much I can talk about, I'm not gonna, oh, should I talk about Bellator? I mean, I don't like to, I don't like Bellator, but, yeah, sure, I mean, it did happen, I'll go over it very briefly, I suppose. Um, last night, Bellator... 214... Uh, just... I don't like Bellator, man. I, I just... I don't like the presentation. I don't like the... That commentary booth... Um, Is just the worst... Michael Berg and Big John McCarthy is maybe the worst commentary booth ever assembled in MMA history. Um, but in your main event, Ryan Bader, Ryan Bader becomes the light heavyweight and heavyweight champion, knocks out Fedor Emelianenko in something like 30 seconds. I mean, look, anyone who didn't see that coming just isn't paying attention. I said when they announced all the participants that Bader was going to win that, that whole thing. I mean, he was an enormous light heavyweight. He's a good heavyweight. I mean, half that tournament field weren't genuine heavyweights. You had both King Moe and Chael Sonnen participating in it. Like, those guys aren't heavyweights. um, <laughs> not by a long shot. But, Bader wins. Bader is now a champ champ, so good for him, I guess, for in as much as Bellator exists. <clears throat> Um, also on that card, former WWE, excuse me, a former WWE champion across various promotions, Jack Swagger, real name Jake Hager, made his Bellator debut and professional debut, and submitted a tomato can with an arm triangle in like 30 sec, like less than 30 seconds. Um, look, he's you know putting aside the. WWE stuff. Swagger Hager, whatever you want to call him, was a legitimate uh, division one all. He was a division one all American wrestler a couple of times. At least once. Uh, he's a big guy. He's over six feet tall. He's got, again, has a legitimate wrestling background. His striking sucks. His head positioning sucks. But you know, he's also thirty six. I don't think he's going all that far with this, but. You know, he, he won his debut, and that's more than a lot of guys do. It's more than a lot of... You, you know, some fighters who go on to become genuinely great lose their debut fights. It happens. Um, so there was that. Um, Henry Corrales knocked out Aaron Pico. Uh, Pico's young, man. He's still learning. And this is just a painful message, painful learning experience. Um yeah I think that's a and I mean the rest of the card wasn't all that much of anything it just it's Bellator man what do you want me to say kind of sad the original main event for that fight fell through I will say this the original main event for that card was uh Musasi and carvalho I have to look this up because. I actually remember seeing the original main event, and it was supposed to be. Oh no, Lovato Jr. That was it because Musashi beat Carvalho. Um, and Rafael Lovato Jr. is nine and zero. I mean, it's hard to put into context how good he is at grappling. Uh, former world champion uh former nogi world champion Panam, your know, pan Am champion uh just you know gobs and gobs of jiu-jitsu accolades to his name uh he and he and Usasi would have been a really interesting fight uh, I was sad sh- sad that fell through um let's see Anything else from that? No, nothing else from that card. God. Yeah, I, I got kind of roped into doing... I don't normally watch Bellator. And in fairness, I only watched the main event. Because I got roped into doing a, a you know, alternate commentary thing with Mark and Pat. Uh, that you can find on the Ritalich and Broadcasting Network. And I just watched the whole thing muted because I... Goldberg and Rogan, again, might be the worst commentary booth in MMA history. It's it's so bad. It is so bad. I mean it's worse if you I, I I've heard it's worse if you watch the prelims when Mike Goldberg has to try and talk about people that, you know, weren't fighting fifteen years ago and he can't so he can't tell stories about their training partners. I mean all he's got at this point is just like fighter anecdotes. Which is fine. Like that's a that's a valuable thing to have on a broadcast, but you need someone to actually do play by play. Uh, it's uh, it's not good. It's just bad. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Um, I, I'm not seeing any other major news coming out again. There's a few things that are going to come out this week that are going to be pretty big. Again, we should have Jones uh, and the Nevada State Athletic Commission. In theory, the the NSAC will be ruling on Connor and Khabib. I say in theory because bureaucratic BS never actually ends. Um, But, in theory, we should be getting those in the near future. So, keep updated on that. And again, next week, I think Jeff will be back next week, um, but he and I are trying to schedule that out, so there's still a few things up in the air. We'll see what happens. Next week will be a review of this event, of UFC Fight Night 144, and a preview of UFC 234. Uh, Whitaker and Gastelum and Adesanya versus Silva. Um, Those two are really good fights. I I like any time Robert Whitaker fights. I'm a big, big fan of Whitaker. I mean, I think he's already probably the second best middleweight ever. He's only behind Anderson Silva at the moment and while I don't think he's as flashy as Anderson Silva was, I think he's in many respects more sound. And so we'll we'll see, man. But uh, that's a real again. That's a really good main event. And Adesanya versus Silva is set up to be a big passing of the torch moment. Uh, for more on Anderson Silva, actually, uh, Jeff Harris was at his open workout, so you can check his coverage of that out in the MMA Zone. Uh, you know, so there's again, you know, there's videos of him hitting pads. There's a bit of q and A Q&A period, I think. So. Give that a look if you're interested. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week. Uh, I don't have anything really to plug. Again, I have coverage, so check that out this coming Saturday. But other than that, uh, I do not. there's no Damn You Hollywood this week, um, and I believe the TV party is one that I am not affiliated with, or I'm not going to be on. So I forget which one it is. Eh. Anyway, not one I'm on, because I know the next few ones that I'm going to be on. So be on the lookout for that. We'll be back next week. Uh, Again, hopefully Jeff will be back. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Always appreciated. Uh, Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.